This is Real Talk with Denver 7 and CPR News. This week, drag shows are being targeted across the country. Basically, like you telling me that it's illegal for me to be an artist. The LGBTQ plus community says it's an attack on self-expression. Today, we have a real talk about drag queens. In some places, laws are being passed to try to limit the shows, and we'll hear directly from those impacted. Welcome to Real Talk. I'm Colorado Public Radio's Nathan Heffel. And I'm Denver 7's Micah Smith. Each week, in a partnership between Denver 7 and CPR, we will have a real talk about issues impacting underrepresented people across Colorado. And this week, our focus is on drag queens and legislation some are pushing across the country to ban drag shows. We start with a look at the legislation moving through state legislatures and the impact they're having on the LGBTQ plus community. From Tennessee. It is illegal to take your child to a strip club, and yet we're going to allow a drag show that has blatantly explicit sexual activity taking place. To Texas. So our goal is to end these shows in the state of Texas because we don't believe that a drag show is a place to bring kids. To Florida. As lawmakers, we are failing the children of Florida if we don't step in and say there are, um, you know, venues at which performances should not let children in. GOP lawmakers are pushing legislation through their state capitals to ban drag shows. In fact, according to the ACLU, there have been 461 anti-LGBTQ plus bills introduced in state legislatures across the country this session. What we've seen is this sort of pattern emerging around drag shows and LGBTQ plus events. On one hand, you have Republican lawmakers saying this is crucial to the protection of children. But on the other hand, you have the LGBTQ plus community saying this is an outlandish attack on the community as a whole. People are taught to hate. And now they want to teach the fact that drag is bad and sexual. That's teaching hate. Deshay Ellington performs in drag in Tennessee, which became the first state in the country to ban public drag shows or in a spot where children may be present. It breaks my heart, actually, because basically, like you telling me that it's illegal for me to be an artist. Right now, Tennessee's drag ban law is being held up in court. But if it is implemented, performers can be charged with a misdemeanor on the first offense and a felony on the second. The danger targeting these communities is that it makes them makes us feel like second-class citizens. That is Kareem Kupchandani. He performs in drag in Massachusetts, where no drag bans have been proposed, but he worries about the uncertainty these laws create. These laws are also making me think, where is safe for me to travel? Uh, where is safe for me to go and perform? Um, it makes me worry about my friends in other states. And Kareem hopes this time gives people an opportunity to experience an art form they may never have been exposed to. And for queer and trans people who are often, who we feel like we're at the margins of our families and society and, and such. Drag is what holds our community together. A lot of times it gives us a reason to come together. You know, Nathan, with this story, there are a few words that come to mind. Self-expression, authenticity. I kept hearing children and young people in there, but we haven't heard much from the children and young people themselves. No, we haven't. And so we want to welcome our first guest on This Real Talk on Drag Queens. We have 18-year-old Ophelia Peaches with us now. Thanks so much for being here. 
Thank you so much for having me. So uh, you are a teenage drag queen. How did that get started? Talk to us about that. Um, so for my generation, Barbie and RuPaul's Drag Race are interchangeable. I had always grown up knowing what drag queens were and seeing these glamazons and just wanting to be them. And I always had like a themed birthday party. And so for my 13th birthday, I asked my mom to have a drag queen birthday party. And I was in makeup and the wig and shiny jewelry and a tiara. And I just felt more me than I had ever felt before. And because of that, I, I wanted more. Because of that validation, I just, I felt like I could be Jameson. And so my mom and I started a 501c3 nonprofit to find other kids that were like me. I know it might be hard to narrow it down because I'm feeling your excitement and your joy, but what have some of the best experiences been for you while doing drag? Oh gosh, some of the best experiences for me doing drag is just seeing other kids like me who are my age and being able to grow up with them and being able to, to swap wigs and to be like, oh, are you doing this show? Let's do that show together. And just to have a community that is there for me and to support me is just so affirming because I know I'm doing it right. I love that. And again, we're also on radio, we're on television. Describe to our listeners what you typically wear and, and how it feels when, when you put that on. So Ophelia Peaches is this very grandiose version of Jameson. So I always do brunette hair and it's just, it's big, it's wavy, and I'm... I'm just in this kind of a suit with a purple, pink, roughly shirt. So Ophelia is just that, just to the next level. So I have big bows in my hair. I have trains that go four feet long. And it's just, it's the most me that I can be. And Judy Garland style uh, boots that are <laughs> yeah. sparkling in the light. I wish our listeners could see that. Yeah. And, you know, Ophelia, you mentioned starting an organization. You're the founder of Draggy Taunt Pageant in Denver. Tell us about the pageant and what it is and how it came about. So my mom and I started Dragutant, which is a nonprofit organization that provides a safe space for kids who want to do drag to perform. And it's this overly supportive day for kids to get makeup done by drag queens, have their parents there with them, and just create a community and find affirmations and validations in other kids that are just like them. And I think one of the most beautiful parts about it is it's not just kids off in daycare. They're not just like, go do your thing. Parents are there always, and they're always talking to other parents, and they're just there being, just asking questions like, how can I raise my queer kid to the best of their life? And it's just so beautiful because to find these wonderful parents and wonderful families who are so unique in their own way and so beautiful and queer and out is just it's affirming to me because when I started at 13, I didn't know that there was anyone else there like me. And to see an entire community just come out of the woodwork and be so beautiful and so supportive to everyone else, it, it gives me hope for the next generation. And you've heard stories from young kids across the country. What are they saying? A lot of kids across the country are, are worried. They're worried about where we're going. Luckily, I live in Colorado, and it's, it's definitely a much more safer place for queer people. We have two state representatives who are openly LGBTQ. But in places that are, are more Southern, like Tennessee and Florida, a lot of these kids, and I've talked to them through Zoom, especially during COVID, having that, that connection was, was life-saving for some of these kids. And talking to them, 
even they are are baffled that I can be out in my school and that I can be so gender fluid and unapologetic about it. And they cannot. And they cannot. And that's definitely one of the things that, that worries me is to see these other kids that are the same age as me, that are just like me, and they can't be their authentic selves. And it's interesting because I was actually part of um, a project when I was 13 called Project Contrast, and they made a book about it, and it's called Young Queer America. And it's 75 stories of queer kids all across America. Six of them are in Colorado. These are all stories of queer kids, and this is only 75 of them in all of America. So this gives me hope, but we need more of it. Ophelia, we only have a few moments left, so just in a few words, what would you say to those who say you are too young for drag? People that say you're too young to do drag obviously have not been in sports or in band since they were at a young age. It's no different than that. It's a team. It is a performance art, and these kids are, are there with a community and with people that they can call their friends and they can grow up with. So it's, it's no different than enrolling your kid in band. It's just drag. Ophelia Peaches, thank you so much for joining us on this Real Talk. You may just be seeing her soon with a very famous singer, uh, Lizzo. She has a lot of projects coming up, so thank you so much for joining us for this Real Talk. We are just getting started with this Real Talk about drag queens. For many, the art of drag and their exposure to drag is a very new thing. But that doesn't mean that drag doesn't have deep roots. We take a look at the history of drag, where it came from, and how it gained mainstream popularity. We'll also welcome two local drag queens to Real Talk to hear their firsthand experiences on the state of our country. This is Real Talk. Welcome back to Real Talk. Today we're having a Real Talk on drag queens and legislation being pushed nationwide to ban drag shows. Well, these attacks on drag queens are relatively new in the political sphere. It's important to note that the art of drag has been around for hundreds of years. Let's dig into the history of drag. It can be traced back to the days of William Shakespeare in the 16th and 17th centuries when only men were allowed to perform on stage. That meant men also had to dress in women's clothing and play any female roles. And the term drag is believed to have originated in the late 1800s when the Reynolds newspaper in the UK printed the word in a gender-bending context in reference to a party invitation. It then gained popularity in the 1920s when it began being used by gay people. Throughout the 70s, drag made its way into pop culture through John Waters films and characters like Divine. Even disco singer Sylvester performed in drag to international acclaim. Then, in the 90s, we were introduced to RuPaul, who, of course, made drag mainstream in the early 2010s with the launch of the show RuPaul's Drag Race, which just finished up its 15th season. So drag has always been a part of our lives, but only within the last few years have we heard the term groomer being used to describe drag queens and even categorize them as pedophiles. So we want to continue this real talk on drag queens with two drag performers in Denver. We want to welcome Dixie Crystals and Juicy Misdemeanor to the show now. Thank you so much for being here. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. And we want to get right into it. What do you say to people who are saying drag is grooming or drag is just a bunch of pedophiles? That's Those are strong words. They must have such an impact on you. Gosh, where do we begin? <laughs> oh, <my goodness. laughs> um, I, For me, I like to listen to people, and those are very harsh words when you hear them. But I also like to educate people on what those actual terms mean within the drag community and just in the world in general. A lot of those terms get just kind of thrown out, I think, for people to have a soundbite to have. 
And so when it comes to human beings, where we're just trying to bring a smile to people's faces, and we're actually trying to create a sense of community with not within our own community of the LGBTQ community, but also kids that are growing up and other families that don't have those resources to come to, we're not trying to do anything um, on the piece of that. Like, I think you can look statistically that everyone that has been convicted of pedophilia is not necessarily in the art of drag. And so, you know, we can go on that side of the spectrum. But for me, on both of those terms, it's I want to take it from a derogatory point to make it more of a point of educating people on what those words actually mean. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree with Dixie. I think that knowing the origin of drag and knowing that it was curated to be a safe space and a safe haven for those of self-expression, I think that we should always originate ourselves back to that and know that we are only trying to create and curate safe spaces for our queer LGBTQ youth. And so I think that living up to that and knowing that that's what we're doing is more so at the forefront versus all these other outlandish things that have been said or stated, for sure. Both of you have been doing drag for some time. What have been the biggest changes you've noticed over the last couple of years in the world of drag? And Miss Juicy, we'll start with you. Absolutely. I think that um, just the overall sense of inclusivity has been really big. Um, you know, drag started off at a very like um, niche and almost targeted market of like these almost female impersonators, mm -hmm. if you will. But nowadays, you know, drag is visited in all levels. There's people with beers, there's femme presenting, um, mass presenting drag. There's all these are forms of drag now that are just so progressive and so innovative. And I think that's what's really changed and shift for me. For sure. Dixie? Yeah, it's the same for me. I love to see that it's changed so much where we're inviting to everybody within the community. So you don't have to be female identified or male identified to be able to perform the art of drag. It's basically if you want to entertain people, like there's a place for you in the community. We shouldn't discriminate against our own community. We should embrace them and help them get to the next level. And Dixie, why do you think drag queens are being targeted right now? I think right now it's because it's a hot topic. They have nothing else to focus on in the world. I mean, goodness. Um, so let's just target a drag queen that's trying to have a good time with people. You know, I, I really, it's unfathomable to me why we focus so much on the art of drag and why drag queens seem to be a target. I think it's because people, uh, they have found during the pandemic that kids are getting stories from drag queens, whether it be online or in their libraries that were offered. And so they're, I almost wonder if it's a piece of parenting that's been you know, misplaced that they're like, oh, well, they're getting their information from a drag queen. Why is that happening? Why wasn't I told about that? And then they start start spiraling into the other concepts of, oh, well, they're trying to groom my child. They're trying to take advantage of my child when all in all, we're just trying to read a story to their kids to to make them open their eyes a little bit more to the world. And is there a thought of listening to when someone says that maybe they're not actually thinking, oh, X, Y, Z is a groomer. Right. But just like, it's the unknown. It's the fear. It is. Yeah. I feel like we live in fear-based media. You know, I think a lot of the time when it comes to things that our people aren't so familiar with, uh, that people go from those sound bites of fear-based words that then trigger people to then move in a different direction of thinking. I think this whole fear living lifestyle has derived from the 2020 pandemic. I think that we were shut off. We were enclosed. We were stuck in our home. And so us as drag artists, us as drag entertainers found other ways to communicate to our youth and to our people, our community. And I think that because we are known to be like, you know, fairies or angelic or beautiful and youth do draw themselves to us, I think that that was um, something a little scary for parents or scary for people in general. So I think that they latched onto it as some sort of grooming or whatever other tactics or words. But it's not it's nothing, not, nowhere near that at all. Mm -hmm. Right. At all. Juicy, what have been some of your more cherished moments performing in drag? So there was an event last year called Queer Ilderness at the History Colorado, and it was an event for 13 and up youth, a safe space for our youth to come and 
walk the runway and to express themselves and just be. They had like places where they could sit and read and commune. They had places with free snacks. They had a dance floor. They had a DJ. And it was just a safe space for these youth to come and be themselves. And I thought it was so beautiful because even though I was there for a few hours, so many youth came to me, cried to me, shared stories, expressed their their concerns, but also their love for a space to be somewhere where they felt appreciated and uplifted. So it was very beautiful. Dixie. I think for me, it all comes from watching the youth interact with me at shows and things of that nature when I'm doing family-friendly events. It's really wonderful they come up and they're just kind of in awe of A, what you're wearing, or B, what you've talked about. Maybe it's a story, maybe it's a song that I sang, you know, those types of things that people can connect with. So I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, it all does come back to youth, but it's because I didn't have that growing up as a, as a youngster in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Like, I didn't have role models to look up to. I didn't have a drag queen story time that I could go to. I didn't have bars that I could go to or restaurants to go and watch these different types of people within the community. I didn't even know what gay was, Yeah, you know? And so to have that, I think the youth, that's the advantage that we have right now. It's that they've just become a little bit more aware in the world, which is what we need because they're our future leaders. So I think those are, those are the things that are most meaningful to me when I have those interactions with the kids that are actually, they want to have a real conversation with you and ask, how did you get into drag? And how do you do your eyes? And how do you do your hair? All those things, like those are fun things to talk about. Well, let's talk about, we've been talking about outside looking in. Yeah. But this is such a community for people who who need that. Talk about that community that you have from the inside. Absolutely. So I am a part of a drag house here called the House of Misdemeanor. And it's crazy enough because the, the name sounds a little crazy, but you know, we are a loving family. They're all family. good. They're all We're wonderful. all good people. <laughs> We're a loving family. And I think that from the inside out, it's more so... You, you search and you find this community that loves and embraces you. And once you found it, you expand on that. And I think that is what's so beautiful about my house specifically. I think that because Felony, my mother, found me, and I said no first, actually. I said I didn't want to be in the drug house. <laughs> I didn't know what was going on. I was trying to find myself. And then she gave me time. And it was, it was beautiful because I approached her then and said, I think I'm ready to be in this drug family. And she was like, well, I was just waiting for you. <laughs> and for someone to say they're waiting for you with open arms is just so beautiful. And it's so embracing and heartwarming. And so I was just like... You know, if that's what community is, if that's what I'm seeing, if that's what I need, then that is something that I'll cherish forever. And I will hold that name to the utmost highest standard because it's something that I feel I've stepped into and it's just so loving and welcoming. And that's truly my family and my community. Yeah. Juicy, you have an event coming up called Artwork. I do. Tell us what you have going on. Oh my goodness. So Artwork is a fashion show of a local designer named Ellen Bronson. She's amazing. And this show is curated for all bodies, all spirits, all peoples. And so we dressed and we put on clothing on all bodies, all shapes, all sizes, all colors. And we have youth and adults in the show, as well as um, I'm choreographing a dance segment there. And these dancers range from 10 <laughs> to 18 and so forth and so on. And so this show is really about the community, about the people, to see how we dress ourselves and live our lives through art and the work that we do every day, why it's called artwork. So that's huge. Well, thank you both so much for being here with us today and having this real talk. Thank you. We thank appreciate you. you. Drag Queen Storytime events have been protested across our country and right here in Colorado. But there's a group dedicated to helping protect those who participate. After the break, we introduce you to the Parasol Patrol and explain how they're working to shield young people from hateful rhetoric. This is Real Talk. This is Real Talk. I'm CPR's Nathan Heffel, and today we're talking drag queens on Real Talk. Legislation is being passed nationwide to ban drag shows and any exposure of drag to kids. One of the biggest points of contention comes in the form of drag queen story hours. We're continuing this real talk on drag queens with some of the efforts 
happening to protect those that host these drag queen story hours. We have Pasha Ripley with us now from Parasol Patrol. We're going to jump right in here, Pasha. Tell us a little bit about Parasol Patrol. What is it and how did it come about? Right. The Parasol Patrol is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and we seek to shield children from protesters at uh, LGBTQIA plus and BIPOC events. So we'll walk between children and their families and the protesters using our umbrellas kind of like shields so they won't have to see the signs and the angry faces. And we even have noise-canceling headphones in a little one size because they'll come with bullhorns to yell at children. Um, we started in 2019. My co-founder, Eli Bazan, is a Marine Corps veteran. We're both queer. We're both people of color. And one of our friends was hosting an all-ages drag show. And... Uh, they were getting a lot of hate mail, a lot of, of of threats. And so we just started out just a few of us, a couple sets of parents and us. But the numbers of the protesters kept doubling every month. It was four, then eight. I mean, literally doubling until we had 60 plus protesters. And it was just like six of us. So I, I put it out on social media. We're, we're calling for the, some help. And over 100 people showed up the very first event. And, and they're... Big uh, umbrellas, brightly colored, rainbow. They're 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 beautiful when they're all up there, yeah. right? <laughs> uh, I want to be very clear that Parasol Patrol is not a counter protest group. So tell us about that. We employ de-escalation techniques, and we're always non-confrontational, yelling back and forth. We're not going to change their mind. They're not going to change ours. And if we're trying to reduce the chaos for children, that always just feels counterintuitive, and we have seen when that happens, those clashes, it usually escalates. I know that there are a lot of people watching and listening, hearing this, wanting to join in the Parasol Patrol. Tell our listeners and viewers how they can join if they're interested. You can email us at info at parasolpatrol.org, or you can just keep an eye out on our social media. We started here in Denver. Sadly, we've had to grow into a national organization and growing quickly. Uh, and it's heartbreaking, be that as it may. We have events all over the country on social media. We put those out there, and then you can contact us for more information. Pasha, thank you so much for being here on Real Talk and sharing your story. Thank you. And that's this week's episode of Real Talk. Every week, we'll be having a real talk on issues that impact Coloradans who are often overlooked. And you can find all of our shows at denver7.com slash realtalk or online at cpr.org slash realtalk. Have a great day.